this is the Common Sense Party Podcast. I'm your host, D-O-T-T-L-E-Y. Our mission is to inform our listeners on the topics that affect them every day and put some common sense on it. Um, rate us, review us, follow, subscribe. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Uh, please give us five stars, four stars, three stars, two stars. Give us any stars. Because if you don't give us any stars, I'd assume I'm doing it correctly. We are available on Spotify, Amazon, Samsung Podcast, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Yes, we're still working on Apple. Today's topics are why did the Republican, well, why does Marjorie Taylor Greene think that we want uh, a civil war? I don't understand. And before we go any further, let's give a shout out to our returning listeners from Brussels, Belgium, Ashburn, Virginia, Corona, California, San Francisco. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's spread the word. And now, let's get it started. Yes, that's called a veto. The 
the president vetoes me, I have to go back to Congress and they vote on me again, and by that time it's so By that time, it's very unlikely that you become a law. It's not easy to become a law, is it? No. But now I hope and pray that I will, but today I am still just a bill. He signed your bill, now you're a law. Oh, yes! Yes, for those of us who grew up in the 80s, yes, that schoolhouse rock, just just a bill to help those younger ones who weren't taught or they didn't teach them civics in high school. Uh, yes, this is the Common Sense Party Podcast. Shout out to also our listeners in Kansas and Tucson, Arizona. Right now... How do you feel about the government? Let's see what Chris Rock says. The government hates rap, man. And only rappers get gunned down like this. I'll tell you right now, if Billy Joel, Elder John, and David Bowie got shot, they'd have Bruce Springsteen's house surrounded. The government hates rap. And only the good rappers are dead. Only the good ones, Biggie's dead, Tupac dead, Vanilla Ice still alive. <laughs> the government hates rap. You mean to tell me they can find Saddam Hussein in a fucking hole, but you can't tell me who shot Tupac? So shout out to Snellville, tell a friend to tell a friend. Alright. As our loyal following know, I am an independent, but I rail against people who have no empathy and they don't care about the the little person. Because the Republicans in the House introduced a bill introduce a bill, that's a fine, to repeal the law, uh, the bill that was signed into law to cap the insulin at $35. The Republicans who control the House, it's not going to go anywhere. It's probably won't be taken up by the Senate. It'll pass the House, but it won't. It won't even get to the Senate because the Democrats control what? The presidency and the Senate. I do not know why that they would introduce this knowing that it'll fail. The GOP does not care about poor people. Those rural voters who Gave them the uh, the House of Representatives. That's what they're, they're telling you. But you're not listening. You believe that. 
these people are fighting for you. They're not fighting for you. They're fighting for corporations. Corporations do not run America. The one t the one percent does does not does not run America. And I do not know why you always repeatedly expect them to fight for you, but they're fighting for themselves. They just don't want to help those people in the middle or even on the bottom to get up. And the one thing working at the company I work at, I've noticed that they swat they they had a mantra where money was first and they were the worst company in via customer service. I don't think they, they improved when they they made a, a great improvement when they changed it to put the customer above money. Once the customer's above money, you know what the, that does? That brings them back. But anyway, I digress. I'm an independent voter and I have not seen a Republican bill or legislation that helps the 99%. Never. Uh, if anyone can if anyone can reach out and show me one, uh, I am available at the Common Sense Party Pod at gmail.com. And we're also on Instagram. Alright. Moving forward. Yes, our first first issue is that Marjorie Taylor Greene says that we need to, a national divorce, which is divide red states and blue states. So, before I give my commentary, check this out. Greene of Georgia made headlines earlier this week calling for Republican states effectively to secede from the Union. The Georgia Republican posted her proposal on Twitter writing the U.S. should be separated by red and blue states because of, quote, Woke culture issues. Morning, Joe. Economic analyst Steve Ratner here with charts that show why a national divorce would not work out so well for those deep red states. Steve, good morning. What do you have for us? Good morning. Well, first of all, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is not alone. There have been a number of polls. There was one in 2021 that two-thirds of Southern Republicans wanted to secede from the rest of the country. And it's not going to work out well because when you take a look at how the balance of spending versus taxes goes across the country, what you can see here is that on the left side are the states carried by Joe Biden. The green are states in which the state paid more to Washington in taxes than it got back in other benefits. The orange colors, and they're shaded depending upon the degree of disparity, are the states where the states got back more from Washington than they sent. And you can see on the left, a lot of green on the Biden states, nine states altogether, as a matter of fact. And on the right, the Trump states, virtually every single state except for well, Utah, one thing you can don't do ask me why Utah got back more from Washington than it paid. And so it would not really work very well to their advantage to leave. In fact, the top states for getting a better deal from Washington are Kentucky, uh, Kentucky, Mississippi, and um, West Virginia. Yeah, and, and if you look at poverty rates as well, Steve, uh, higher poverty rates correlate, it, by and large, with some of these red states. Yeah, so you can say, well, why is this happening? And poverty rates plays the major role. And first, let's look at what the poverty rates are. The chart on the left graphs the amount, the extent to which a state is a Republican state, the further to the right is more Republican, as you go up the scale, more poverty, and you can see with your eye 
that the red states tend to be above the national average in poverty, the blue states tend to be below the national average in poverty. Another way to look at it is if you, this happens to be by counties, but you get to the same place on the right, how much GDP, how much of the nation's economy is produced in these places, the red states, 20, the red counties, 29%, the blue counties, 71%. So they're suffering more economically, and that does lead to the question of uh, how does that result in more money going to these states? I mean, see, that's incredible. 71% of America's GDP comes from counties that voted for Joe Biden. 71%. Um, so, again, it, it, this just underlines the fact that it will be devastating uh, for there to be a divide uh, for, for those areas that voted for Donald Trump to want a, quote, uh, you know, separation and divorce from um, uh, from the United States. I, I mean, what, can, can, yeah, what, what, uh, what do you think, what, what other chart, do you have any other charts that, that we can move along to here? Yeah, I've got one that sort of breaks it down and shows you how that works and why it happens that way. And so this chart takes the United States in the center and then the two states on the left that get the best deal, the two states on the right get the worst deal. And what you can see is the main driver of that are tax revenues, because if a state is poorer, it's going to pay less in federal taxes. So you can see on the left, Kentucky and, and Mississippi, which on average pay $6,600 a year in taxes. And all the way on the right, you can see Massachusetts and Connecticut, which pay far more, almost $15,000 in taxes to Washington. So they pay a lot more in taxes. But then you look at the top part of the chart, what do they get back? And you can see that, the, let's start with the green because it's the most interesting. The green is federal money that they get back for projects, infrastructure projects, military and so forth. And you can see Kentucky all the way on the left. Why is Kentucky all the way on the left? Mitch McConnell is the Republican leader, has been for a long time. Uh, you may remember, for example, Joe Biden going down to the Kentucky-Ohio border with Mitch McConnell to break a bottle of champagne or whatever they did over that new billion dollar bridge that is being paid for by Washington. Fort Knox is in Kentucky. There's stuff all over Kentucky that Mitch McConnell has delivered to Kentucky. It's a very unusual situation. For most of the states that do better, you can see, for example, Mississippi, which is the poorest state in the country, that light blue are programs like Medicaid, programs like Medicaid. The dark blue includes programs like food stamps. And so because they, pay, they are poor or pay less, I shouldn't, say, I shouldn't say it quite that way, because they pay less um, and have lower income uh, residents, they get back more in federal benefits toward those programs. So Steve, you've played out the numbers here. If this hypothetical were to happen, Marjorie Taylor Greene were to get her wish uh, and these states were to secede, what are some of the practical real world impacts that would have on those states? Yeah, they would be. They would have huge sort of deficits, economic deficits. They wouldn't have money for their projects. They wouldn't have bridges. They wouldn't have federal installations uh, in their districts. They wouldn't have food stamps, and they wouldn't have Medicaid to help cushion their residents against uh, pretty extreme poverty. Uh, it would be a. It, it would be a really tough and stupid economic decision. And again, the whole irony of this is you've got Republicans who oppose kind of almost every kind of federal spending who are the biggest beneficiaries of the federal spending that they oppose. So in summary, a terrible idea for everyone involved. And a hypocritical, let's knock it off. Terrible, terrible idea for everyone uh, in those red states. Already. Yeah. All right, Steve Ratner with the chart. Steve, thanks so much. Good.
It's called voting against your own interest. She is a representative of Georgia. Georgia is no longer red, it's purple. So, hopefully, I live in Georgia. Hopefully, these people come to their senses and vote her out. Absolutely, O U T, out. And the chart he was showing yes, the Republican led states keep most of the population, well, not most, but the minorities in. In poverty, they I guess the stupider they are, they they'll vote for you. So I really didn't understand why they don't, why they don't, um, why they don't vote them out. But we gotta, we have to educate our youth, man. Educate them. We gotta put money into education, because. All they want to do is just have dumb people vote for them over and over. I don't want to call them dumb, but uneducated. Uneducated, yes, that's a better word. Uneducated. Like, who think if you if you um divide the states, that's not constitutional. It makes no sense. We should have one uniform government, but you are free to do what you want but you can't tell a person that's moving to a state you can't vote for five years because you're a democrat so you want them to hint hint change their, affili- change their affiliation and vote your way that's authoritarianism what kind of dumb shit is that But, but I don't understand why this is done alright but hopefully 2024 we weed them out and we get them out alright moving on to the Republicans and the debt ceiling check this out well howdy there internet people let's probably go so today we're going to talk about an incredibly interesting poll that may change some dynamics up on Capitol Hill Recently, the Republican Party has decided to go to an old standby when they want to generate a little bit of controversy and try to demonstrate that they are doing their part and and really sticking by conservative values, they tend to go after the debt ceiling. And this is something that has typically worked for them in the past. However, New polling suggests things might be different this time around. Back in 2011, only 24% of people supported raising the debt ceiling. 36% of Democrats, 16% of Republicans, and 22% of independents. 24% of, of voters. That's, that's low. That's incredibly low. Because of the lack of support for raising the debt ceiling, the Republican Party, well, they always feel pretty safe about turning that into a campaign issue and sticking to their guns on that. New polling from this month, 52% of Americans support raising 
the debt ceiling. 79% of Democrats, 26% of Republicans, and 47% of independents. The Republican Party cannot afford to upset 47% of independents. They, they are having trouble electorally as it is. That, that is not a sound strategy. Um, they may suddenly become a little bit more interested in working out a deal and raising the debt ceiling without causing a massive crisis in the process. Because what these numbers suggest is that if they cause a crisis or cause the country's credit to be downgraded or anything like that, that they're going to be the ones held responsible at the polls. It's also worth noting that contrary to the way things have normally gone, 46% of Americans support raising taxes to deal with the debt. That, that's also a really high number. Uh, 50% support cutting programs and services. The problem is the only thing that's really available for them to cut as far as the Republican Party, Social Security, Medicare, stuff like that. Stuff that they know will not sit well with voters. While the voter may say right now, yeah, cut those services, cut those programs. When grandma's checks light, they're going to blame the Republican Party. And Republicans know that. That's why they booed the proposal from the Republicans at the State of the Union. Um, this might change dynamics. If the Republican Party is paying attention to anything right now, this should change dynamics. They should look at these numbers and say this is not going to play out the way it has in the past and, and start to uh, become a little bit more accommodating when it comes to trying to figure out exactly what needs to be done to raise the debt ceiling. Everybody knows it's going to happen because there's no way that in this session they're going to make cuts to get rid of all of the deficit. So the debt ceiling will be raised. The uh, only real question left is how much the Republican Party thinks they can get away with before raising it. Um, it's one of those things where if they don't raise it, they crash the economy. And they're invested. They may not have a problem with hurting us commoners, but they're not going to hit their own portfolios. The debt ceiling's going to be raised. Now they just have to work out the deal. Anyway, it's just a thought. Y'all have a good day. So we know they're going to raise the debt ceiling because... That's what it is. Because they are not going to jeopardize their bank accounts. So, as we stated from the time they got in and got leadership and they threatened to, it's going to be raised or they're going to fuck up the world's economy. 
do you want to be the person that fucks up the entire, not the United States, the entire world's economy? And the economy is humming. And I mean humming right now. So we will see if Biden and the Democrats will call their bluff. I hope they really do just call their bluff and see what see what they'll do. Watch them cave. So the deadline is June, so we will see. All right, uh, we're gonna go to go to the fifth again, talking about how social media is controlling the way traditional media cover stories. Check it out. Let's bow again. So today we are going to talk about something that happened in the South China Sea and media coverage and how trends in the way the news covers the news can often leave people with a false perception of things, a, a fictional interpretation of the world just based on how the media covers the news. Recently, in uh, or over the South China Sea, there was a, I think it was a P-8. It was a, a surveillance flight. Surveillance flights happen all the time. It was a U.S. surveillance flight. And it was in international airspace, but it was pretty close to contested airspace. So the Chinese sent up a plane. And there was that Top Gun moment where, you know, both planes are really close to each other, looking at each other, gesturing, I'm sure. Um, the thing is, the P-8 happened to have a CNN crew aboard. And they got footage of this dramatic incident, right? And in a lot of the reporting, it's used to kind of showcase how tensions between the U.S. and China are they're just on the rise and, and look at this and that's how it's being framed in, in a lot of the coverage. What's the reality? The commander of the Navy mission was asked about it and was like, nah, it's more like, you know, just another Friday over the South China Sea because it's not actually incredibly uncommon. Um, those types of games, they occur pretty frequently we just don't know about the coverage isn't there. They occur, they happen, but they normally don't have a CNN crew literally on the plane. So you don't have the footage. So it doesn't become a news story. So people don't think about it. Um, the same thing happened with the train in Ohio. That derailment, it was severe. It's a big deal. It was a big deal. It still is a big deal. Um, ecological damage, and it, and it was, as trained derailments go, it was severe just on that. Because the public started expressing interest in trained derailments, what did the media do? They started covering trained derailments in, in a pursuit to get clicks, to get views. They started covering it more often than they would. So I want to say there were four that they covered pretty pretty prominently. 
and it led to people developing this fictional interpretation of things. You had people on social media actually floating theories about, are we under attack? Is it sabotage and all of this stuff? But what's the reality? If you were to look at um, averages of train derailments since like 1990, it's a little more than 1,700 per year. 1,700 per year. Break that down into per day. Four over the course of uh, a week actually isn't bad. Now, admittedly, not all train derailments are the same. The one in Ohio, really bad. A lot of those 1,700, not so much. Um, but when they started covering the other ones, it created a false perception because of how the public has viewing habits that the media then plays into to get more views, to generate more revenue. Um, it's a really bad idea to shape your beliefs and your perception of the world based on frequency of coverage. Something being covered repeatedly doesn't actually mean that it's at an increase. Uh, I could be wrong about this because I haven't seen recent numbers, but the last time I looked, we were actually kind of near a historic low when it came to train derailments. But, because of the coverage, because of the severity of what happened there, it's been brought to everybody's attention. And because of that, hopefully, <laughs> there will be uh, there will be changes in regulations. There will be changes in safety. And those numbers will go down. The averages will go down. That, that should be what occurs here. There should be a whole group of people trying to figure out how to make sure this never happens again. And, and that should be the, the driving force behind the coverage not simply scaring people. But, scaring people, it makes more money. Anyway, it's just a thought. Y'all have a good day. Yes, so, that's how CNN, maybe NBC, definitely Fox News, try to scare you into thinking that, hey, the world's going to come to end make you watch it further but we've all known this they're they're going for clicks they are going for clicks all the time that's how they pay their bills that's why viewership is done because everybody's going online everybody's on twitter and twitter doesn't fact check so I would rather have them be stand up and check their facts before they, they push it and then you can put anything on Twitter and they won't fast check it even under their new management alright moving on that soft leader in the Republican Party the House uh, 
gave footage to Fox News. Clear and cut. So they can spin spin the narrative. Because the January 6th they go, they go tit for tat. So the Democrats did the hearings. Now they're going to do, in a court of public opinion, what they think. Try to get those people, those insurrectionists, those traitors, who try to bring down the country, try to show that they're patriots, which they're not. But listen to this. Using their power in the House. We all saw Kevin McCarthy clash with those hardliners and during those clashes when he had to get all of his votes on the house floor he promised all kinds of concessions including promoting what was then his most ardent foe Matt Gates, to a pivotal committee devoted to basically looking at government investigations and attacking the fbi and doj and that itself is a shift in washington's power dynamics this is important for the story i'm about to tell you right now for decades members in both parties lobbied to get on Committees like armed services and appropriations, controlling money, or some sought prestigious assignments like foreign affairs. Now, these hardline Republicans are angling to be involved in investigating the investigators. That's the committee they want on. That's partly about politics, because there is a political fixation on the deep state or on Hunter Biden's laptop, and that's a daily thing for some of these folks, and they just do that year after year after year. That's the politics. Well, then there's the media, which relates to the politics. But this is about media attention. And the loop between Fox News and the GOP that pushes these stories and pushes the Republicans who lead the charge and makes stars out of some previously unknown members of Congress, something that we have all seen. I bet even if you don't watch Fox all the time, you're familiar with how this works. And let me be very clear, because I want to break this down. Sometimes the cycle starts at Fox. And they book and promote those people. Other times it emanates from congressional Republicans. Which brings us to how Speaker McCarthy is using his power to give surveillance footage from January 6th, which is a big deal, exclusively to Tucker Carlson and facing backlash over that. Meanwhile, over on air, Carlson is saying that even though they haven't reviewed all the footage yet, he thinks it contradicts the story about the insurrection. We think already that in some ways it does contradict that story. It does contradict that story. He's talking about the footage they got that they haven't seen yet. And that is a tell. Because it shows this is not about following the evidence, watching those tapes, sifting through them, seeing what they might show you. It is about pushing a narrative that minimizes the insurrection and hypes some phantom and future evidence, regardless of whether they actually get it. It's not working off that evidence. Now, if that approach sounds familiar, a kind of a backwards investigation, that's how Bill Barr ran the hyped but failed review of the Mueller probe. There were leaks, Barr gave interviews, he predicted future information, even bombshells. They never came. In fact, Barr's prosecutor lost the cases that did come out of it, and none of them were big to begin with. They never discovered or proved some deep state conspiracy that they promised. And they made some pretty controversial efforts to find any kind of dirt they could to discredit the original probe of Trump. So that is the model. That's now being applied to this insurrection, which has been convicted as an actual sedition. But for Carlson, the sedition, he says, was, quote, not violent, not an insurrection. He thinks the people who did violently storm the Capitol on behalf of Trump, to him, they don't look like terrorists, whatever that means. 
Of all the things that January 6th was, it was definitely not a violent terrorist attack. It wasn't an insurrection. An outbreak of mob violence, a forgettably minor outbreak by recent standards, you see people walking around and taking pictures. They don't look like terrorists, they look like tourists. They don't look like terrorists to him, because I guess he has an idea of what a terrorist looks like. But they're convicted seditionists. Sedition is domestic terror against your own government, rather than, say, a foreign government. Now, that person you just heard, Mr. Carlson, is who Speaker McCarthy is elevating on an exclusive basis to review the attack footage, an attack on McCarthy's own workplace and his own colleagues. And we know McCarthy is faking all this right now. And I don't say that lightly. I won't say that if I can't prove it to you. I won't just say it if I suspect that he's not telling the truth. That's not good enough. We know on this particular story, in the heat of the moment, during that attack, when no one knew how bad it would get or if the Trump fans would effectively go further and murder members of Congress or assassinate Mike Pence, as they publicly clamored for, in that moment, McCarthy condemned the violence, publicly calling on those Republican attackers to stop. I completely condemn the violence in the Capitol. What we're currently watching unfold is un-American. I am I'm disappointed. I'm sad. This is not what our country should look like. This is not who we are. This is not the First Amendment. This has to stop, and this has to stop now. That was what he said. That was McCarthy's truth. By the way, in court, that kind of statement is actually deemed more credible, an excited utterance, because in panic and fear, the courts have found that's when the truth might seep out, even from someone like McCarthy. Now, he's contradicting all of this Right now, he's elevating Carlson, the insurrection minimizer, who is one of several hosts under heat right now, by the way, for the alleged defamation in the related lies that fed the insurrection. For McCarthy, this is clearly about politics, not truth, let alone the safety of his colleagues in the Capitol, if he's considered that at all. McCarthy is literally already fundraising off this gambit, giving the stuff to Tucker, He's trying to publicly link himself closer to Tucker Carlson. Now, you might stop and say, okay, Ari, but aren't top Republicans always tight with Fox News hosts? Why would the Republican speaker, who's the top Republican in government right now, need to further that alliance? Well, again, the answer is in the evidence. You can't just assume that all Fox hosts and Republican politicians are tight, even if they might publicly admit they vote the same way. And in a twist, Carlson has actually been blasting McCarthy as a Republican in name only, telling viewers McCarthy is a puppet of the Democratic Party. You can see it written out on screen. He also calls him a Democrat, or an MSNBC analyst, or a D.C. lobbyist with no real core. Okay, I just never had to think about my own so... <laughs> I'm, just not, I'm so sorry. Congressman Kevin McCarthy. A man who in private, turns out, sounds like an MSNBC contributor. We will have a Republican Congress led by a puppet of the Democratic Party. He's, in fact, ideologically agnostic. He's flexible. His real constituency is the lobbying community in Washington. Carlson views McCarthy as a flexible stand and a political puppet who responds to power and will say what his puppet master demands. One day it could be the donors, another it could be Matt Gates, another it could be a Fox host. And Carlson's attacks have engineered a kind of meta-demonstration of the alleged puppetry, with McCarthy making an unusual show of fealty to his 
on air tormentor, maybe in the hope of never seeing a Fox News banner about being a puppet again, which is a very puppety way to try to avoid being dubbed a puppet, when you think about it. Just as McCarthy did rush to formally and publicly appease Trump, after initially briefly criticizing Trump's role in the insurrection, he's now trying to appease an insurrection defender by offering him the strings to be the puppeteer of the Speaker of the House, which is not just any puppet. It might all be comically low-key pathetic if the stakes were not so high. And now tonight, we turn to a special guest who knows the politics, and in this case, the puppetry, a man who ran the Republican Party, even earning his own tribute puppet in a very different time right there on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Former RNC chair Michael Steele is here now. Welcome back. Hey, good to be with you, Ari. Younger days, my friend, younger days. Well, you know the politics and the puppetry, but it's a fact. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I know how those strings are oftentimes, uh, you know, woven together and, and how they should be cut at times. And uh, you laid out such an incredible indictment of this speakership uh, and the gentleman who holds the chair because it really is at its core about I want the power, give me the power, what do I have to do to get it, and what do I have to do to keep it? Um, as has been reported, you know, McCarthy's admitted, oh yeah, yeah, I promised, I promised Tuckums that I would do this. <laughs> I promised them that I would give over these, over these, uh, over this footage. So what else has been promised? I mean, I think we should all be bracing for that because there's more of this to come. I also find it very curious. Clearly, these two individuals don't speak to each other, meaning Tucker and and McCarthy, because. McCarthy on January 6th said, oh, I condemn this. This is awful. This is not who we are. And Tucker was like, well, these are just tourists. Right. <laughs> what are you talking about? These are just tourists. So which is it? Were they just tourists or were they terrorists? Yes, the puppet <clears throat> Kevin McCarthy gave up tapes to sway public opinion for the people on Fox News. Sometimes you gotta listen to how the enemy not enemy, the other side is being talked to so you can reach them. So once in a while you may just once in a while just go over to Fox News during a, a speech or a national event see what the what what angle they're taking and you'll see how they treat their their flock alright moving on um, recently the Georgia grand jury released um, a report on what they're going to do about the voting case in Georgia and the full woman went on CNN and well you listen the woman of the grand jury investigating Donald Trump 
finds herself under fire today. <laughs> Emily Kors just wrapped up an eight-month investigation into alleged election interference by Trump and his cronies in Georgia. So why is she speaking out? Grand jury proceedings are usually kept secret. Did you recommend charges against Donald Trump? I really don't want to share something that the judge made a conscious decision not to share. I would say that uh, when this list comes out, you wouldn't... There are no major plot twists waiting for you. She giggles nervously and bats her eyelashes, trying hard not to say something she shouldn't. People are going to hear that and they're going to think that means that Donald Trump is definitely on that list. Um, I know it's delicate, but can you, can you speak to that? I can't. Well, I might be able to, according to instructions, but I don't want to. This is a horrible idea, and I guarantee you that prosecutors are wincing watching her go on this. Some say Trump's lawyers could use the forewoman's interview to get any charges against him thrown out. We spoke to famed lawyer Alan Dershowitz. Do you think that uh, Donald Trump's lawyers and the other potential defendants uh, might use this interview against the prosecutor? I certainly would be doing that, and the idea of a four-person spreading essentially gossip about what went on in a grand jury is totally against the spirit of the grand jury's role to protect defendants. And now Trump is going after the forewoman on Truth Social. You have the, get this, foreperson going after and doing a media tour. This is not justice. This is an illegal kangaroo court. He flew to East Palestine, Ohio today, where the locals are still reeling from a train derailment earlier this month that spewed toxic chemicals into the air. You are not forgotten. We stand with you. We pray for you. The crisis is turning into a political battleground, with Republicans, including the town mayor, blasting President Biden for supposedly paying more attention to Ukraine than their stricken small town. That's the biggest slap in the face that tells you right now he doesn't care about us. Federal agencies are on site. They say testing has shown that the air is clean and the town's water supply is safe. Alright. Whoever whoever told that lady to go out and do a media tour needs to be fired. You can see she wants to be on TV. She's not that smart. And she's trying to sway public opinion. Why is she trying to sway public opinion? I have no idea. I just don't understand why would she go on TV. And why is the lady on CNN trying to coax her into saying with leading questions? They need to... They need to stop that. Because they might have just gotten him off in the state of Georgia because they wanted to do a publicity stunt. I don't understand why, but people just need to stop trying to do too much. If they just stuck with the how the normal plan is and don't send people out to the media to say stuff but anyway we'll see like I said I think they're gonna 
indict him on, I think, voter fraud, something like that. And then we'll go from there. All right, this is the Common Sense Party Podcast. This is your host, D-O-T-T-L-E-Y. At this point in the show, we can promote a product or give you time on our platform to promote your product. You can hit us up at the Common Sense Party Pod at gmail.com. We're also available on find Instagram at the Common Sense Party. Uh, you can support us via Cash App or Zelda information is in the description. Uh, rate us, review us, subscribe, follow, tell a friend to tell a friend. Give us five stars, give us four stars, give us three stars, give us two stars. Give us any stars. Because uh, if you don't give us any stars, I will assume that I'm doing it correctly. Uh, we're available on Amazon Music, Spotify, Samsung Podcast, Pandora, Google Podcast, and TuneIn. Yes, we're still working on Apple. And for our next story, uh, it's Florida. Yeah, um, Ron DeSantis, uh, is his book banning tour in the state of Florida got the great Roberto Clemente on the list, and I think he's backtracking because Roberto is an icon out of, I think, Venezuela or Puerto Rico, one of them. So, check it out. Nobody justifies it. 
nobody justifies it. Once it's shown, we may do an event where we actually show all this stuff and put it on the big board so people can see it. There will not be one person that will stand up and say some of this stuff should be in. But that's so much different. You know, having like uh, you know young young uh, kids in, in engaging in sex acts, you're going to compare that to a biography of Roberto Clemente. Give me a break. All right, guys, we'll. Okay, but what he's not telling you is the law is vague. The law doesn't say that. The law says anything that has the word race and racism and Roberto Clemente, Hank Aaron. Uh, I think Bill Russell also, in their biographies, has the word racism. So, he is backtracking. He's not giving the full story. So again, I think he did what he did with the Voting Act, where he arrested people who were given the go-ahead to vote by the Department of the voting uh, the voting authority I forgot what it's called but uh, long story short felons who came out of jail and tried to register to vote the when they sent in the application they were told they were registered to vote and when they voted it was against the law but that wasn't on them he made it a big spectacle uh, just arresting people who went for information and someone told him yeah you can vote he tar- he's targeting minorities just like this he's an authoritarianism Authorit- oh. authoritarian that's what he is he's trying to bully people into uh, I guess voting for him for president because he's trying to run for president and he's, he's a bad leader he is a horrible horrible leader I used to live in Florida, and the crazy shit about it, he is worse, he is worse than, sorry, Um, what's his name, he's, uh, Rick Scott, there you go, sorry. Showing my age. Rick Scott. He's worse than Rick Scott. And Rick Scott is uh, a meth head if you Google him. So please Google Rick Scott. Look at me, busy as a bee. Where'd I get all this energy? Oh, man. Man. I don't sleep and I don't eat, but I got the cleanest house on the street. Oh, man. Get these hairs all out of my face Get these bugs all out of my place One more hit, no time to waste Yes, he is He looks like a meth dealer Or a meth head And he was part of the biggest Medicare scam In the United States history He stole it from the government And he became a governor of Florida and a senator of Florida. And now this dude is way fucking worse. Absolutely worse. Because he's playing on... He's teasing like the 1960s. That's what they're trying to do. Alright. Um, speaking about DeSantis. 
some kids in, I guess, Orlando. They say they might sue them. Check it out. School students say that they will file a lawsuit if students are not able to take an AP course on African American studies. Attorney Ben Crump has announced that he will represent those students, but Governor Ron DeSantis is defending his rejection of the curriculum, saying it is serving as a political agenda. His office has pointed out six sections they say go against state education law. He spoke about the decision this week. Take a listen. We have guidelines and standards in Florida. Uh, we want education, not indoctrination. If you fall on the side of indoctrination, we're going to decline. If it's education, then we will do. And attorney Trudy Smith talked with Goodale-Lando on our 7 o'clock hour this morning. She supports the governor's block. I think we've seen over the last few years how parents have been very concerned that their children are not learning facts, not learning how to think critically about those facts, but instead are being taught how and what to think about those facts. And that's really a distinction here. Instead of giving students the tools to... And for reference, this is a black woman. ...to critically assess information so they can walk away and form their own opinions, form their own political ideologies. We're seeing that this ideology is being taught in the classroom. And unfortunately, instead of having a diversity of ideologies, we're seeing consistently that it's a particular type of ideologies that's being embedded into our school system. Well, joining us this morning is State Senator Shervin Jones. He says that he agrees with what the students are fighting for. We do want to say good morning to you and thank you so much for joining us. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start off with this, right? We know this course is being tested in 60 schools all across the country. It's in the pilot stages right now, so some changes could be made right down the road. But what do you think about banning a course like this in our schools now? Well, the, the, I think we, it's important for us to point out that you can't talk about any type of history, American history, African-American history, without talking about the intersectionalities in, in all of them. Um, but more particularly when we talk about black history, which is the fundamental foundation of this country in which we're talking about. The facts that we're speaking of, ideology that we're speaking of, there's no ideology that teachers are actually pushing on children, especially within an AD, AP course where students can opt into this course. By us not allowing them to take these courses, by us inserting our own political agenda into the uh, into these statements, uh, all it does is continue to convolute this. And I agree with what these students are doing because these students were already prepared to take these classes, and that was totally slipped from under the rug because of what has been spewed across this state by Governor DeSantis, unfortunately. What's interesting about this is a lot of times these are things that people talk about they're not happy with, right? But now we're getting to the stages where you have Ben Crump and these students threatening to sue. Does that surprise you that they're now saying, listen, if we're not allowed to take this class, so we're going to take it to the next level. Well, you know, I'm actually excited about it. I'm happy that the students came and said that they want to sue uh, the, the governor and the state of Florida for this and not adults coming out to do it. When, when Attorney Crump called me and said that I have three students who have said that they want to do something about it, they stood up and did it. That, too, it will be a part of history. And the history that has happened years ago, it's, it's important that students learn that and understand that because then now we know how to work with each other, converse with each other, and live amongst each other in this place we call America and Florida with 22 million people and 22% of African Americans are represented here within the state. 
let's circle back to this, right? So the state announced last week that it, it was rejecting the course, pointing to six specific areas of concern and some works by Kimberly W. Crenshaw, Bell Hooks, Angela Davis, and other black authors calling it, quote, woke. I would guess it really does depend, right, on what's taken out or what's left in. But overall, do you think that this will help or hurt education in the long run? It does hurt education in the long run. If we go back and look at history, we've seen this before. We've seen the banning of books before. We've seen individuals uh, who are leaders to tell individuals what they can and cannot do, what they can and cannot say. Uh, and so it's dangerous of this route uh, that we're going down. Angela Davis, Martin Luther King with the letters from the Birmingham jail. That these are books that have already been banned from the state of Florida. These were people who were writing from their perspective in history, in time. And the the fact that we are snatching this away from the student and telling them that in the classroom is not the place where they are able to explore this, it's, it is unbelievable to me. And, and I'm hoping that we can, as an American people, Democrats and Republicans, can see that all history is important that we learn it, whether you are comfortable or uncomfortable with it. Let's talk about public versus private schools. This is something that's happening in public schools, not necessarily in private schools. Right? Private schools can pretty much teach what they want to teach, or would this affect them as well? No, this is, they, this is really uh, towards uh, the public school system. The private schools can continue to do uh, what, they're, what, what they want to do, whether they're teaching it or whether they're, whether they're not teaching it. I've asked and committed many of times that why are we not imposing these same rules on the private school system? Because I know for a fact there's an arterial motive. Uh, the danger in all of this is that black children within the state of Florida run the risk of going to school every day and not seeing themselves in their education education system and also not being able to see themselves represented in the state in which they live in. It's a dangerous approach that we're taking. State Senator Shervin Jones, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your views with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It is. All right, folks. Let me tell you something. What they're trying to do is raise kids with no sort of empathy because she's talking about the six things that they're banned intersectionality of and activism why you want to stop activism black queer studies gay movement for black lives black lives matter black feminists um, the black struggle they trying to take away kids empathy because the older generation know they fucked up they know they fucked up because this is not the first time whenever black people or people of color or minorities get together and show that they can strive for greatness they get jealous and they try to destroy it again from my previous podcast go to google go to alexa go to shuri ask shuri to list the black black massacres in United States histories and see why they did it they did it because they wanted to put their foot on they wanted to stop minorities from being successful and this is what they're trying to do again those people want to be Russia they want to be Cuba they want to be Venezuela they want to keep the population down so the people who make money can keep making money that's all it is so again hopefully that these people will 
take a breath. Hopefully, we can get these people out because it's not good for any future generation that you take away empathy. Empathy is part of being human. Because if you don't have empathy for someone, you won't know that they're going through problems. And you treat them like garbage. You you pass them on the street. You let them stay in poverty, impoverished. Not letting them, not helping them up. Because again, we have the. It's called oh. Damn, I forgot what it's called. It's not being polite. It's uh, a social contract. There it is. The social contract is that we help each other. That's what the social contract is. If you're in trouble, I help you. If I'm in trouble, you help me. But if you have no empathy, that social contract is null and void. So hopefully, they will... They will sue, and once they get to court, they'll have to show how this... This bang of the AP class, they have to... Discovery. They discovery why they have to prove why these things are bad. They have to go under oath. And when you go under oath, you got to say something. All right, moving on on our next subject. The world's smallest machine gun. It just, it's, it's, it can transform a Glock into a machine gun. It's about a pin sized thing. And check this out. So this right here is what we're here for today. This is your smallest machine gun. This is the size of like a, like a thumbtack, more or less, like a big thumbtack. And this is a machine gun. It is indeed. Let's get some airs on. This Jay Jenkins is a U.S. military veteran who got into the gun business after leaving the service. He helps educate people about federal firearms licenses, including a special type required to have this, a tiny device called an auto sear. It can transform an ordinary Glock pistol into a machine gun. All right, so we got the Glock 17. And this is regular semi-automatic Glock. Absolutely. We have a 50-round drum. We're not going to shoot all 50. We're ready to go. Okay. All right, I'm going to go ahead and put the switch on. Okay. I want to know how long it takes for me to actually put it on. Uh-huh. So converting this regular semi-automatic Glock into a fully automatic machine gun Glock by slipping in these parts. So that was like 90 seconds and you made a machine gun. Let's see how she shoots. Holy cow. Yeah, we got How many bullets was that? Uh, we shot about 10 before, so that's probably about 40 rounds. Like that? Like that, gone, done. Just seeing like what this thing is is capable of just now, like the idea of someone wielding that against another person is absolutely yeah, yeah, terrifying. In the wrong hands, it's bad. The license that Jenkins and others need to own auto sears requires an extensive background check and can cost over a thousand dollars. But not everyone is willing to go through all that. Glock switches, as these auto sears are called on the street, 
and putting up in all types of crimes. So that is the fire from what appears to be an automatic weapon. In everything from death to shootings. Shooters with automatic weapons opening fire. To use by anti-government extremists. Court records allege Watson sold to people associated with the Boogaloo movement. The agent pulled up next to Jin and through his car window bought something called a Glock Auto Sear. An investigation by Vice News and the nonprofit newsroom The Trace found that auto sears have become alarmingly common. So as you can see, we have, you know, uh, drug trafficking, uh, we have uh, extremism, we have actual shootings on here. Alon Stevens and his team created the first national database of federal prosecutions involving auto sears. They identified more than 260 cases since 2017, which most commonly involved drug trafficking and weapons trafficking. Also on the rise were cases involving homemade firearms, gangs and cartels, and extremism. The number of devices recovered in federal cases went from 12 in 2017 to 203 last year. Where do we think these auto seers are coming from? When I talk to law enforcement sources, they're saying that, you know, the first wave they believe came from, from China. But we are also seeing a lot of homemade um, ones, people just machine shopping these and installing these at home. Because again, they're a very simple mechanism once you understand how they function and work. And you can also 3D print them as well, and we've seen that. Normally, when a Glock pistol fires, this trigger bar deploys for a split second to ensure one round is fired per pull of the trigger. When the auto sear is installed, a metal nail or arm overrides the trigger bar mechanism, allowing the gun to fire over and over with a single squeeze of the trigger. Glock doesn't make the devices, and the company didn't respond to a request for comment. If I wanted to buy a Glock switch right now, how easy would it be? If you know what you're looking for, they're very easy to find. So this is a little video that someone's posted on Instagram, and they're using like Glock hashtags. And in the comments, I can see that people are saying, yeah, see, see this guy here says, you know, inbox me with uh, your cash app or PayPal, right? And, um, you know, these are highly regulated items, right? They're out here to get some hardcore weaponry. The federal law enforcement agency going after illegal Glock switches and dealers is the ATF. The sheer variety is, is really amazing. Yeah, get a little bit of everything. Beyond Glock switches, agents in Dallas have also been finding more drop-in auto sears that convert assault rifles into machine guns. This is from a seizure in Oklahoma, uh, approximately 600 drop-in auto sears for the AR-15 platform firearm. So we're looking at a literal 600 raid full of machine guns. 600 machine guns. That's insane. Yep. There's a lot of uh, folks in federal law enforcement, local law, that have never seen this before. So they're, they're searching cars, they're searching homes. Someone might have this in a tool chest, or, you know, in a, in a drawer in their nightstand. So you figure out what you're looking for. You don't know what you have on your hands. Are there guns in there? Police are already being caught off guard by Glock switches. Last year in Houston, a fugitive opened fire on officers coming to arrest him. Dion, it's Houston police. Let's do this thing. It's not nearly as precise. They're just spraying bullets at, you know, at a target, and it's extremely dangerous. How common did it used to be to encounter machine guns for ATF agents uh, a few years ago versus today? It was pretty rare that you would find a legitimate machine gun. We're seeing them recovered all the time. Just one of the most scary things that we've dealt with since I've been an ATF agent. They're everywhere on the street right now. Oh, my.
of selling switches. How did you get into the world of selling switches? It was old footage a while back. We was experimenting with a gun, and some people had recorded the videos, and it started a trend. How many switches do you estimate you sold over the years? Oh, a few thousand. A few thousand? Yeah. The switches on the market are like PS5s, and you can spend the same amount and get you a switch. You will not have to worry about every other day you got people shooting at police with switches they're very high demand so it's like if you don't have one we butt naked Mike told us that he recently decided to quit selling switches after someone close to him was shot with one he was actually one of my runners and he got killed by one it was my God waking the signs where if you keep doing this then the side bag happened to you how do you feel knowing that those are out there on the streets and could be used for who knows what. That's the scary part of it. This is pretty much the guy out of hand. Do you worry that this is creating like an arms race sort of situation on the street where, you know, one guy sees that another has this and therefore I gotta get it or otherwise I'm gonna be outgunned? Yeah, I do. I, I absolutely do. They want the most powerful and fastest shooting gun in town. We can keep shutting the manufacturers down and going after who's making these things, but the genie's out, and it's only going to get worse. This is a game changer. What's up, guys? This is Jay the Shooter. Welcome back to another video. Jay Jenkins is known on YouTube as Jay the Shooter. His online followers constantly reach out to him about Glock switches. And you got fans. You see this? This is crazy, right? It, it, it goes forever. How can I get one? Right. You have to get your license first, man. Click the link. There you go. I get a lot of people assuming that my guns, my machine guns, are illegal. So now that that, that they comment below my video, and it gives me the opportunity to actually educate them. Come do it the right way and don't. Don't put yourself up against 10 years in federal prison just because you want to have a little fun. How often do you get people who come and say, I want to get this license just so I can have and shoot a machine gun? They're always asking that very question, hey, how do I turn my gun into a switch? If your sole purpose is to own a machine gun, then I don't want your business. The way I view educating individuals to, to become a licensed gun dealer is we are placing legal, accountable individuals in these communities so that they can educate you know, the community and, and possibly curve some of the violence that's taking place. Does it scare you knowing that there are switches on the streets, that these are in, in the hands of people who have no training, have no license? It is scary. I would want my family members or someone to, to, to come in contact with someone who illegally possessed a firearm. You're not seeing licensed individuals with these machine guns causing havoc in the streets. It is the illegal individuals with them. Where do you see this going in the next few years? You can have the criminals continue to cast a negative perception of these switches, of the machine guns, and the federal agencies can, can throw more legislation and policies down our throat, but it's not gonna affect the criminals. Guns don't kill people. Stupid people kill people. And, again, you can 3D print it, you can get it on the dark web, but stupid people kill people. The gun is just a machine. And right now, if they can get it 
just like a PS5, fuck, we in trouble. All right, moving on to our next story. Um, Representative Lauren Bobert. Uh, well, I guess they're trying to get her out of office because they alleged she was an escort. But nothing is corroborated, but let's listen to the story anyway. Jose that alleges that Lauren Boebert worked as an unlicensed escort and allegedly had two abortions. Now, who is claiming this? None other than the American Muckrakers Pack, the same political action committee behind the demise of Madison Cawthorn. So, uh, so far, they've had a pretty accurate track record, uh, especially in regard to releasing some pretty salacious claims about the individuals they're targeting. Uh, I do want to note that uh, there haven't been uh, any independent sources who have corroborated the claims that are being made by this political action committee. So it's really, really important to keep that in mind. With that said, though, the allegations are explosive, and I want to share them with you uh, in case they do happen to be real, because it shows you that Lauren Boebert, much like many other Republican politicians we've talked about on this show, happens to be a major hypocrite. It's totally fine if someone's working as a sex worker, something that we're supportive of, something that we want uh, to provide protection for sex workers on. Uh, and obviously, I am very much in favor of women being able to practice uh, control over their own bodies, uh, being able to practice their reproductive rights. Lauren Boebert, notably, wants to ban abortion in this country. So that's why this is an explosive story, and I want to give you the details uh, that have been outlined over at firebobert.com. That's the website that was launched by the American Muckrakers Pack. Your friends are helping you renovate. You know you owe them dinner, right? Delicious Schwab's home deliveries in the freezer. That freezer? Oh, from freezer to heaven to gut. Order today at schwab's.com. according to the website, was an unlicensed paid escort and met clients through sugardaddymeat.com. Text messages show she was bankrupt at the time and looking for side income and called her work paid to play. She was paid to escort wealthy men. Now again, I personally have no problem with it as long as the person working as an escort isn't actively trying to uh, push this ideology that sex workers are terrible, that it should be banned, that there should be serious consequences for people who uh, engage in sex work. Bobert had an abortion uh, at the Planned Parenthood Clinic in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, due to her work with uh, a SugarDaddyMeat.com client. And it was through her side job that she got introduced to a United States Senator, Senator Ted Cruz, as is alleged in this release. Uh, in 2019, Bobert was hired by a wealthy male client in Aspen, Colorado, who was a Koch family member. Bobert's rich client subsequently introduced her to U.S. Senator Ted Cruz in Aspen in 2019. After meeting with Senator Cruz, Bobert was encouraged by him to run for U.S. Congress. Now here's where things get even more interesting. After Bobert announced her campaign for Congress in December of 2019, Senator Cruz donated $126,000 to the Bobert campaign and helped her raise large sums of money during trips Bobert made to Texas. Interesting. Bobert didn't disclose a $75,000 donation until Cruz's Federal Election Commission filings 
contradicted her filings. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so guys, first of all, bombshell. Okay, second of all, it's the first 24 hours. We tell you each time uh, things develop. Okay, so we'll give you updates as we go along. So, for example, if the if other uh, um, media organizations jump in and say find out that it's not true, we'll come back and tell you it's not true. Okay, if they find out corroborating evidence, we'll come back and tell you that they have corroborating evidence. Okay, so for now, they're just allegations on this political website. Now, having said that, as Anna pointed out, they were right about Madison Cawthorn. They did have receipts. We're going to show you some receipts they have in a second in this case. Uh, and uh, I'll double down on what Anna said. Of course, we don't care that she's an escort. But what the part that matters are when politicians then basically deliver it in a very similar fashion, but actually, this time, immoral fashion for their donors. So you notice Ted Cruz giving a lot of money to Bobert after he's apparently, allegedly introduced to her as an escort. That is fascinating. And that would certainly, if it's true, certainly Ted Cruz has some explaining to do. Um, I don't know if that's why he didn't mind uh, phone banking for Donald Trump after Donald Trump attacked his wife. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, but I do know she hid the money that he sent her. He didn't hide it. To be fair to Ted Cruz, he didn't. So, so far, he hasn't done a thing wrong. Okay? Right. But she hid that money. That is goes towards intent. It goes towards, hey, why did you hide it? Well, right? Why didn't you disclose that massive donation from Ted Cruz? That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and later you're going to see something about her husband and how her husband's taking money in a political realm. I think that that's actually the worst of it. Okay? But, uh, but... If it's true that she had a couple of abortions, that she was, uh, that is devastatingly hypocritical. Mm -hmm. uh, but remember, Republicans have not minded in the past. So I'm going to come back to that too. Um, we have a specific example of that. Uh, the escort part is just all general family, family values until, of course, not family values. But really, is any Republican still pretending to be a party of family values? I don't even think they're pretending. After Trump and the porn stars and etc. Yeah, they're absolutely pretending to be, uh, if, you know, party of family values. But it's a joke, and you all know it's a joke. I mean, with all of the anti-LGBTQ stuff that we're seeing from the right wing right now, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you're an evangelical Christian and you're still a Republican and you're saying you're a Republican because of family values, you're, you're not participating in a joke. You are the joke, okay? After supporting Trump and all of the others... You don't believe in family values at all. You just believe in hating gay people. Let's just be clear about where you stand. All right, go back to both. So the person who uh, shared this information to uh, American Muckrakers Pack uh, did so did not want to disclose his or her, I'm guessing his, uh, identity uh, out of fear of retaliation. But the person who shared the information with the pack said that Bobert's husband, Jason Bobert, was also dealing drugs. So there were uh, those types of allegations as well. The whistleblower, again, requested anonymity and fear of retaliation, but also shared uh, some receipts to back up uh, the claims, but I also want to kind of uh, warn caution in regard to these receipts because I did a search and these photos were actually out there already. So let's share some of the text messages here. Um, 
yes, I have the photos from the actual site, meaning the Sugar Daddy website. I will send it. Let me get that now. And then he sends that photo. That photo, uh, I had never seen it before, but uh, there are some online forums, some of which uh, had already posted this image in 2021. Um, so she apparently had a an account on exploretalent.com. And so these images were used on that profile page. Uh, but they could have also been used on a sugar daddy profile page as well. Who knows? And I'm being honest, I can't even tell if it's her, to be honest. Yeah. Or the other pictures. I just can't tell at all. Yeah, so let's go to uh, the next one. So this next photo uh, is from, honestly, when she was trying to pursue a modeling career. Well, so it's definitely her? Yeah, no, it's definitely her. It is definitely her. So she had a short-lived... attempt at a modeling career and this happened to be one of the images on the website for that um and so there you go he she might have repurposed those images for the sugar daddy website now uh David B. Wheeler who's the president of American Muckrakers Pack uh summed up with a like list of what she's being accused of here so let's go to that list right now so allegedly, again, Bobert had two abortions, but says other w- women shouldn't be able to make this decision. Bobert was driving an ATV uh, and had a serious wreck with her son in the back, and her sister-in-law is so seriously injured she has to be flown to the hospital via life flight. Bobert doesn't report the accident as required by Utah law, and then actively works to cover up the accident two weeks before the primary election, including paying her sister-in-law off to remain silent. Um, also, Bobert uses donor money to pay her taxes and restaurant rent. Bobert still owes her employees back pay and threatens them if they protest. Jason Bobert, I think this is what you were alluding to, Jake, yes. um, has a consulting contract for an oil and gas company for $460,000 a year, but has zero consulting experience. Sounds a lot like uh, Hunter Biden, to be honest. <laughs> and by the way, the family members of almost all the politicians. Yes, exactly, yeah. Um, and one other thing I want to draw attention to, we've, we've talked about this on the show before, but, you know, Lauren Boebert had a little bit of a shady past. She had been arrested several times. She has multiple mugshots that are available online. Here's an example of one of the mugshots. Um, so it's not like she had a goody-two-shoes reputation prior to running for Congress anyway. Um, and she was arrested and summonsed at least four times over the past decade's record show, uh, while uh, the three arrests and one court-ordered summons were for petty crimes, and in one case, all charges were dropped. Bobert's record is unusually long for a sitting member of Congress, uh, and she was also arrested back in 2015 uh, for... Do two W-2s make a W-4? Are you kidding? You know, unruly behavior and, um, you know, interfering with police. Uh, she allegedly shouted at people detained on suspicion of underage drinking, urging them to flee from police, which caused the young drinkers to become unruly. So she's got all sorts of things that are terrible in her past that have been confirmed. Just another data point to, to be aware of as we try to figure out how accurate the, the latest allegations are. Yeah. So let me give you a bunch of caveats and then conclusions. So uh, first of all, um, on the accident, look, people have accidents. Uh, but she does the same thing over and over again, which is hide the facts, right? 
So she hides the fact that she owes her employees money but doesn't want to pay it. Uh, she hides the fact that they have this terrible accident. There's no reason to hide that. People, you're human. It's okay, right? She hides the money from Ted Cruz, which there's tons of money flowing back and forth in politics. I don't know why you would even hide that. That's not illegal. Uh, Ted Cruz reported it. But like the guilty mind of constantly hiding everything she's ever done is interesting. Look, crimes in the past, I believe in redemption. I'm not going to hold out against someone. Uh, but if it goes towards, hey, she's been a lifelong grifter, and this is just her latest con, well, then I care. And the Jason Bobert part to me is the most relevant. Guy has no consulting experience. All of a sudden, an oil and gas company gives him half a million dollars. Well, and then which way is Bobert voting? Oh, you're going to be shocked to find out with oil and gas companies. How do yeah, that one's a bit long, but yes, allegations, let's see if they come true, but they vote the way they vote because that's the way they vote. Alright, okay, here's a special one, I gotta ask you, is Pete Buttigieg 10 year over with? Because he had the, had the, um... Debacle with the planes and now the train. Have we had enough of Pete Buttigieg? Check us out. Support for reversing the deregulation uh, that uh, happened on his watch. I heard him say he had nothing to do with it, even though it was in his administration. So if he had nothing to do with it and uh, they did it in his administration against his will, maybe he could come out and say that he supports us moving in a different direction. Well, one thing he could do is express support for reversing the deregulation uh, that uh, happened on his watch. I heard him say he had nothing to do with it, even though it was in his administration. So if he had nothing to do with it, and uh, they did it in his administration against his will, maybe he could come out and say that he supports us moving in a different direction. Well, one thing he could do is... That was Pete Buttigieg telling um, President Trump that the train crash was caused because of he deregulated... Uh, a law that would have had the companies retrofit their brakes and that's what happened but also Biden didn't uh, replace uh, reinstall the Obama Obama era regulation that would have prevented it but is he has he had it has he had enough is is he going to be fired is the question I think so Alright, moving on. Biden is a bad motherfucker boy. Biden went over to Ukraine and said, fuck y'all. I'll stand with Ukraine even if y'all don't want to. Check this out. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We have seen American presidents quietly slipping into war zones before, but never quite like what we saw today. Americans waking up to news that President Biden had arrived in the Ukrainian capital of Kiev on an unannounced visit cloaked in secrecy that included the president taking a 10-hour train ride across Ukraine, venturing into a country actively at war and where there is no sustained U.S. military presence. The risk underscored by the wail of an air raid siren as the president strolled outside with President Volodymyr Zelensky. The visit coming just before the first anniversary of the Russian invasion. Mr. Biden voicing unwavering support for Ukraine and vowing the U.S. would stand with the battered country for as long as it takes. Kristen Welker begins our coverage. Tonight, President Biden arriving in Poland after his historic and highly secretive trip 
inside a war zone in Kyiv, side by side with Ukraine's President Zelensky. Thank you very much for coming, Mr. President, for the huge moment of supporting the Ukraine. I thought it was critical that there not be any doubt, none whatsoever, about U.S. support for Ukraine. A show of unity and defiance aimed at Russian President Vladimir Putin, days away from the one-year anniversary of Putin's invasion of Ukraine. The Americans stand with you, and the world stands with you. The momentous day starting with President Zelensky and the First Lady of Ukraine greeting Mr. Biden. Uniformed Ukrainian military officers lining the streets as the two presidents walked through the Ukrainian capital, locked down for security. Air raid sirens in the distance. Then, this dramatic moment, laying a wreath at the Wall of Remembrance for fallen Ukrainian soldiers, punctuated by a moment of silence. The ceremony's making a powerful impact on Ukrainians. NBC's Aaron McLaughlin is there. All day, Ukrainians have been paying their respects at this wall of fallen Ukrainian soldiers. They tell me President Biden's visit shows them that the world sees their sacrifice. We feel that world uh, support us. And tonight, we're learning more about the risky operation that was months in the making. President Biden giving the final sign-off on Friday and leaving in the pre-dawn hours Sunday. These newly released images showing him arriving in Kyiv after a 10-hour train trip across the Ukraine border. The Kremlin was notified hours in advance, and the visit comes as Ukraine, which relies on Western military aid, is pressing the U.S. for more. President Biden announcing another half billion dollars in military aid and making this pledge. For as long as it takes, and that's how long we're going to be with you, Mr. President. The U.S. has given Ukraine over a hundred billion dollars in aid so far. But the challenge for President Biden, our NBC News poll this month showing Americans are split on taxpayer money for Ukraine. 49% say Congress should provide more funding and weapons, and 47% say Congress should not. Republican House Speaker McCarthy says he's against a blank check for Ukraine, all as Russia has begun its major new offensive in the East. And Christian, the stakes remain high on this trip for the president with some key meetings there in Poland. Lester, that's right. President Biden will meet with the president of Poland and other key allies in the region. And tomorrow night he will deliver a major speech here where he's expected to build on the argument that Putin has committed crimes against humanity. Lester. Kristen Welker starting us off. Thanks. Let's turn now to Richard Engel in eastern Ukraine. Richard, this surprise visit happening as Russia's massive offensive is underway where you are tonight. And that's why this visit was so important, because of the timing, because Russia has launched a new offensive out here in the east, and because we are now at the one-year anniversary, or almost at the one-year anniversary, of this war. Things could have turned out very differently. It seemed when Russia first invaded, having a massive military advantage, that Russia would win. And it could have been Vladimir Putin in that square today, celebrating victory. Instead, it was President Biden. And Ukrainians are deeply appreciative that President Biden, that the United States, has been with them this whole time. And now they say the United States needs to stay with them and push for more weapons. And they want to see, as fast as possible, more weapons heading to this country so they can stop this offensive that Russia, Russia has launched. And, and, and this offensive does seem to be gaining more steam. 
Thanks for watching. Uh... Okay. Here's my take on it. Like I said, Biden's a bad motherfucker by going out there and telling y'all he came and he told y'all he was coming. So, the Russians could have bombed him while he was there, but they didn't. Because I agree with my man Bo from the 5th. It might take him a while, but Russia's going to lose. And the second reason why I think we should, well, there are two reasons why we, why we are supporting and should still support them. One, we made a declaration when the fall of the Soviet Union, Ukraine gave up their uh, nuclear arsenal. And we said we would defend if, they, if anybody came and attacked them. Two, in that region and the world produces, I think, 70 or, f 70 or 75 percent of the world's wheat. So, if it falls to Russia, Russia will, will make it really hard for people to get wheat and food around the world. So, we have to stick with Ukraine and that is really why the two reasons that we should stay. Like I said, I think Biden is a bad motherfucker boy and I think he should run again. If if those people don't think he can run, y'all wrong as hell. Alright, here's a here's a sidecap bit. I want y'all to hear this. Check this out. This is Reverend Martin. Republicans talk about being pro-life. What I want to know is where their pro-life stances when it comes to Head Start. Where their pro-life stances? When, no, no, no. When it comes to prenatal care. Where their pro-life stances when you have black women who have a higher rate of dying in childbirth. Where are your pro-life policies when it comes to black children? When it comes to infant mortality. What I'm saying is when you are a Republican in the state of Mississippi and you push a law and the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade and you are ill prepared to handle the 5,000 new babies, maybe because the money that you could give for the poor went to Brett Favre. But all I want to say is the governor of Mississippi who's opposing Medicaid expansion Okay. Alright. This is my quap, my quaff or the bullshit that Republicans or pro-life people who want to overturn abortion they want to overturn abortion but they don't want to support um, the foster system uh, Medicaid and Medi they don't want to expand it they just want to have babies and live in poverty alright Roland take it hospital shut down in his state and you got white women and black women who are dying and Republicans control the legislature. They control the governor's mansion so don't tell me they are pro-life when they are unwilling to accept Medicaid expansion but then they say we don't want to accept federal money from the federal government when they send one dollar to the federal government and they get four dollars back. When you look at the, uh, this, this concept, what you're saying to me right now is that because you believe that Republicans are not supporting um, pro-living, I disagree. I look at the Republican support for um, uh, community health centers. I look at the Republicans trying to... Where? 
she's stuttering she's trying to make up a story but again that's my he says everything in a nutshell what I think is that Republicans don't like poor people they want them to die so alright going to another Houston person that Ali Sadiq feel the passion in this one really feel the passion how how the pain of poor people that you're trying to lead and they, and they worry about social media clout and all that bullshit and niggas is waiting on entertainers to do it for but it's real people out here that's been doing this shit that niggas never look at and that's the fucked up part cause it's the I need a sensational nigga to tell me how to do something but it's a nigga in your neighborhood that's been showing you the fucking way you see what I'm saying? But niggas don't care about that shit. I need you to have on jewels and all this other shit. Which is fucking fucked up. Because you're creating a system of people who only look at niggas who have material gains to listen to. And these are the great thinkers of this fucking world. Mm-hmm. It's nobody quoting these niggas as the great thinkers of this world. But that's the niggas who niggas look at. But, but the niggas who are really in depth and who have solutions for this shit, who, who don't never think about Kent. Never think about Kent. Nigga, I'm solution based. 
don't listen to problems to gossip with niggas. You see what I'm saying? And I understand. But niggas don't have no fucking heart. And that's the thing. You can't go to war with niggas who love tangible things. And niggas talk that fucking war and shit, but these niggas are so unproven. They're so unproven. But you give your loyalty to niggas who are unproven. Who do shit for money and that's it. They don't do shit for the love of the people. And the biggest commodity of anything is the fucking people. It's no you without the people. No matter fuck how much money you got. The pandemic showed nigga. With no people nigga you're nothing. I survive with the people. It's niggas that's growing food when niggas is hungry. Nigga, we got a guard. We growing food for niggas. You ain't got to go to the grocery store. That's the real shit. I don't give a fuck about your Maserati, nigga, because it doesn't help me in the pandemic. When you, when you got a nigga who understands earth and shit, and he saved your daughter, like, nigga, I ain't this ain't shit I got to guess about. This shit that I, when I'm, held, when I'm holding and fucking my baby in her hand, she this big. And she's one years old. And she weighed 10 pounds. And they about to cut her stomach open. And I say enough is enough. Fuck all that. Who would you fight for? Huh? Who would you fight for? That's real. Alright. Don't let people think that we ain't together. Don't don't let social media trick you into thinking that we ain't together as a people. Because when shit comes to shit, 9-11, hurricanes, we pull this shit together. We might hate each other on the surface, but... We got to get back to having empathy for each other. Empathy. Caring for your neighbor. Social contract. Don't give up. Alright. This is the Common Sense Party Podcast. I'm your host, D-O-T-T-L-E-Y. Our mission is to bring common sense to your everyday topics. Rate us. Review us. Follow Subscribe, tell a friend, tell a friend. We are on Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcast, Pandora, Google Podcast, TuneIn. Yes, we're still working on Apple. You can support via Cash App or Zelle. The information is in the description. And give us five stars, give us four stars, give us three stars, give us two. Damn, even give us one. Communicate with us. Let us know what we're doing. If you don't communicate, you know what? I I will think that I am doing it correctly. All right. Again, shouting out to our loyal fan base. We got one in Brussels, Ashburn, Virginia, Corden, California, San Francisco, Snellville, Georgia. Wow. We got someone listening in Moscow, Pittsburgh, PA. Oak Creek, 
Tucson, Arizona, and we have friends. We appreciate everyone listening. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And we are happy to bring this to you. And we are out.